Cool. Who was here last time I shared something? And you've come back. Fools. Um, right. Um, and we did a parable, didn't we? We had a look at a parable. We're going to do another parable today. Well, we're going we're gonna to launch off from a particular parable. I won't ask you to guess because we'll be here all day. You were bad enough guessing the parable of the sower last time. But uh, uh, this time we're going to look at the parable of the wedding feast. Okay? Okay. Now... I'm working on the assumption that we've all been on the Christian journey a few years, okay? A few decades in most of us. Now, if you, if you haven't, if this is new to you, forgive me. I, you know, I don't mean to, uh, to assume a level of, of knowledge. But you tell me now about the parable of the wedding feast or the wedding guests, okay? Shall we just recap on it together? Because you've done this a few times. Okay, so the king has a wedding for his son. That's how it starts. Got you started. It is interactive. I do need your input. Okay. And he sends out some invitations. And what happens? N- nobody comes. They have some excuses. Is that right? What sort of excuses? Too busy. What are some of the specifics that they said? Married a wife. Always seem to remember that one. Yeah, that's quite right. Yeah. <laughs> Big excuse. Sorry? Yeah, I thought it was that one. But actually, no, that's, that's a different parable to bury my father. That's somebody who wasn't going to follow Jesus because he had to bury his father. Now, the, the other two that I mentioned, he's bought some oxen and he's bought a field. Okay? Is that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that we talked about last time we were together? Getting in the way? But there was excuses nonetheless. nonetheless. Okay? So then what did the king do? He sent... His slaves out to whom? To the streets, the highways and the byways, yes. And whom did he bring in? Everyone? No, specifically. Who? What sort of people? That was good. Trapdoor. The poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind, it says. Okay? Then what happened? Good point. Come back in just a moment. But the next thing is, the king looks around and it was still empty. It wasn't, wasn't full, so he sent the slaves out again. And what did he actually say to the slaves the second time when he sent them out? Sorry? No, no, he went to the same people, but the difference is he said, compel them to come. Right? Make them come. So then the feast was full. Okay, now... In my memory, that's where it ended. Okay, and I had forgotten. I'd missed the fact there was a little, little, little thing that happened next, which our Bible scholar clearly knew. Anybody else got it? Know what happened next? Something to do with what they're wearing, yes? That's right. The, the king came in to see his banquet being eaten, with all these people celebrating the wedding, and he spotted somebody. One person who wasn't wearing the wedding clothes. And what happened to that person? Threw him out, bound him head and foot, hands and foot, sorry, and threw him out. A bit harsh, but that's what the parable says. Very harsh. It bothered me a little bit that there was this, uh, this little scene where the, the benevolent king invited everybody in um, and yet threw one out just because he wasn't dressed properly. And, of course, this is a parable that says we should always be wearing our 
Sunday best, who should always uh, dress appropriately in every situation. Uh, in fact, probably it has been used for that for a few centuries, particularly in England. Um, and um, no, it's, of course, not talking about that. This parable is about, about invitation. It's about response. It's about you've got an invitation. Because you've got the two groups of people, the invitees at the beginning. Okay? Now, what's an invitation? An invitation is, this thing's happening. Would you like to come? My, my daughter is getting married next year in Australia. I am coming to terms with the fact. But she is getting to get married in Australia. And we'll be sending out invitations. I, as the father of the bride, and Jill, as the mother of the bride, will be sending out invitations to friends and family saying, this event is happening, would you like to come? I expect there'll be quite a few polite, we'd love to come, however, it's going to cost me about three grand to get there, so I'm not coming, all right? And that's fine, that's okay. Because that's the way it is, you see. Um, you know, it's an invitation, and you've got the free choice. And in this parable, that's what it was. It was an invitation, would you like to come? We don't know whether they'd already RSVP'd and said, yes, we'll be there, don't you worry, but they didn't come. And the context is that the feast was ready. Yeah, this was the moment. It clearly says that things have been butchered. Okay, there's the verses if you need it. Uh, things have been butchered and ready and it was prepared. Now was the day of the feast. But they didn't come. Incidentally, the two passages there, the Matthew and the Luke passages, are often taken as being the same parable. They might not be. It's the same story, but not, might not actually be exactly the same because the audience is different. It's a different time in the story, okay, uh, in the life of Jesus, shall we say. But they're generally taken as the same, as the same parable, even though there are some differences. But don't worry about that. I just want to get to this one thing about the guy that wasn't thing, dressed appropriately. But so you've got the invitees, those that said, uh, those that didn't come. Now, the second group of people are the ones that weren't invited, and they were compelled to come. Okay? Learned that twice. Second time he said compelled. Second, first time he said bring them in. Now, that isn't an invitation, is it? Is it? It's a bit like me saying, I'm having this wedding in Australia, right, and uh, there'll be two you know, gentlemen coming to your front door with dark glasses and dark suits on. You will get in the vehicle, um, and uh, you know, it'd be a good idea if you pack yourself some clothes because you're coming to the wedding, right? forcing you to come. Very different. It's an invitation, and being compelled are very different things. And the key difference is, Who's making the choice? The first group had the choice and chose not to. The second group didn't have the choice. In my reading, it was not, there's this free food going, would you like to have some? It was, the king commands your presence, you're coming. Oh, and by the way, there's some free food on go. Count me in. I wasn't inviting you, you're coming. Right? So this parable is about invitation or not. It's about response of the heart. In fact, the parable before in the Luke passage is about you know, attending and, and, and your response to, to being in a place and how your heart reacts to it. Very much about that. Um, but then there's this poor guy who hasn't got his wedding clothes on and gets thrown out. And that's, that's not fair, is it? Because... He lived on the highways and byways and he didn't have time to go home and get changed, perhaps. But the more I thought about it and prayed about it, I thought there's something in this. So I thought, what are wedding clothes? 
we were driving in the Peak Districts a few weeks ago, um, Jill and I, and we drove past this uh, country pub, and we were quite some distance away, and I immediately said, oh, a wedding. Because out there in the garden, there's, there's no bride in a wedding dress, but there's lots of people in their suits with you know, glasses that they were drinking, and it was just a group, I thought, oh, it's a wedding. You could instantly see that they were dressed for a wedding. It might not have been. might have been a business conference on a Saturday afternoon. Doubt it, but it, that looked like a wedding. Because we have this cultural expectation. If you're going to a wedding, you would dress appropriately, wouldn't you? But I thought, is that what happened here? So I had a look. I had a bit of research to find out what did Jewish people wear, or what do Jewish people wear to a wedding? And in biblical times, what were they expected to wear? Do you know what I found? You ready? Absolutely nothing. Not that they're expected to wear nothing. Let me just clarify that. That is not, that's a different sort of wedding. I found out nothing about what, you know, what a Jewish wedding was. It was, it was nothing. And yet this guy gets penalized for not wearing the right clothes. And yet there's no expectation. Curious and curious, as the fairy tale goes. So I thought about it a bit more. The people that were invited, sorry, the people that were press ganged, that were compelled to come, were clearly the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. They were found on the highways and the byways. If you think they had time to go back home and get changed and then come to the wedding, but one of them didn't, I believe you're mistaken in that thought because there was no home for them to go to. They lived on the streets. What they were wearing, what they were wearing was all that they had. Okay? They had the rags or the clothes that they, they lived in and that was it. So in our English mentality, those of us who are English think, oh no, no, they went home, got a bit of a, wash and a shave and you know, put, the, put the best rags on and then came. That's not the case. In fact, they were brought, they were compelled, they were grabbed by the scruff of the neck and chucked in the back of the wagon and taken to the, to the palace. There was no time for them to change at all. They were forced to come. In a good way, but forced nonetheless. So how come all except one were wearing wedding clothes? You know the wonderful thing that I realized? The king gave it to them. See, this parable is about choice. It's about are you going to or are you not going to? And all those people that were brought, and bear in mind, it also says in the Matthew passage that they brought in those that were good and evil. And that immediately throws a bit of confusion as to hang about. I thought the invited ones were the Jews and the, uh, those that were compelled is the church. Is the church full of good and evil? Well, it is, but that's not what it's saying. And yet, there's something more happening here. So I think the only explanation is that the king gave them the wedding clothes to put on. And they willingly put the wedding clothes on, except one. Because the parable is about choice. And even though you're poor and destitute and in need, you've still got the choice. Whatever your backstory is, whatever you've been through to get to you to where you are today, you still have choice. 
whether you be a millionaire and have everything you could possibly need or whether you be a zero heir and have nothing, you've still got the choice. Because that one individual said, thanks for the food, mate. Great. Oh, lovely glass of uh, wine. Lovely. Band's fantastic. I ain't putting that on, though. Ain't going to make me do that. His choice or her choice. But because of that, because they didn't want to identify with the king, they were out. Because what is a wedding? What is a wedding party? When you actually drill it down, right, all it is, it's a parent saying, I'm going to celebrate the marriage of my son or daughter. Would you like to come and share my joy? Come to this place. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you some booze. I'm going to put some entertainment on for no other reason than I want you to share my joy that my daughter or son's getting married. That's all a wedding is. I know you go to see the beautiful dress and, oh, isn't it lovely? But the invitation is coming from some, and traditionally, of course, it's the parents of the bride that pay for it. Uh, and, you know, parents of the bride who invite you. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's the tradition. Because what we're saying is, come, share in my joy. In fact, the invitation is, you're so special to me, friends and family. Come, I, I'm, I, it's a great day for me. Come and join in. And share my joy. I don't want anything from you other than come and enjoy it. Come and see how happy I am. You look at it that way. Isn't a wedding a fantastic event? Come and see how happy I am as a parent. It's not about the bride. It's about the father of the bride. I'll keep saying that to myself when I'm traveling to Australia in November next year. It's about the father of the bride and the mother of the bride, of course. Um, um, are you with me? That's what it's about. It's about celebrating the joy. So you put it in a spiritual context. Father God says, I want you to come. Why? Because I'm so happy. I want you to come. Why? Because have you seen what my son has done? I want you to come and celebrate. I don't want anything from you. I, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to do everything. Why? Because I'm absolutely overjoyed, says Father God, because of what's happened. Can you see, when, when Jesus told a parable, it was obvious to the audience. That was the whole point. He was connecting in something that was so really obvious. They went, I get it now. And I believe this is what was coming over. Is There's this wedding feast. And the immediate recognition is happiness, joy, celebration. The first person named in this parable is the king, you know, the father. Whoa, yeah, I get it. And I'm with you, Jesus, in this parable. This is fantastic. It's all about excitement and fun and the thrill. And these people, they didn't come. Wow, that's crazy. Why didn't they want to come and celebrate? So he brought, of course he brought some others in. Of course he, he forced them in. Why? Because he wants to celebrate. He doesn't care who he's celebrating with. He needs to celebrate. Do you know your father needs to celebrate? And he needs you to celebrate with him that's what the church is it's my people come celebrate with me come dance come enjoy it why because jesus has won salvation jesus has died and has risen again and it's great says god 
The good thing about a smaller number is I'm giving the same blessing here, but you're going to get double or treble because there's fewer people for it to land on. So just enjoy it when it's coming, all right? But one person said, don't care. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take, but I'm not going to share in this identity because they had the choice. Even in that context of being dragged in, you have, and you've got the choice. Yes, you might still be part of the church, you might still be fully involved, but you've got the choice to really be dressed appropriately. Did you know God gets dressed appropriately? Clothing's quite an interesting thing when you think about it. Because it's not your identity, but it actually kind of matters. You know, I don't know, Maria, sorry, I'll wake you up there. Um, when you started in your career, I assume when you, in your first few years of your police career, you wore something specific for the job, namely a uniform. You don't do it now because you're behind enemy lines and you're secretive like a detective. So I understand that, yeah. <laughs> All right, you are a detective. Um, but you wore that police uniform because it said something about who you are, your identity. Now, I wear a uniform to work as well. I wear a suit and tie, jacket and tie. Now, it's my company, right? I am the boss. I own it. I could go to work in shorts, T-shirt, and flip-flops, right? <laughs> I do often get it. Our offices do get very hot, and I say, you're not wearing shorts to the office. Um, you know, I could, I have that choice, but I choose to wear a tie. Why? Because I need it to get in the right mindset for work. Even when I worked at home, when I was in the corporate life, and I actually, my office was my home for a few months, several months, when the kids had gone to school, I put my shirt on and I put my tie on. I sat at the dining table, but I did it. Because I, I needed it. I was saying something, first and foremost, to me. There was no video conference. I wasn't going out to a meeting. Nobody knew I did it, but it was for me. The clothes you wear need to be appropriate. For, I didn't sleep in my suit. I wore my pajamas at that time. Right? If you're, I don't know, a... You wear high-vis for your job. You do sometimes, Gordon, don't you, from time to time? And your construction site is wearing his high-vis, jackets and things like that. Sorry, Dana, I've come off the stage. I did it for the best as I could for a minute, but I'm giving away. Um, Sometimes you have to wear high-vis because it's for safety and for protection, but you don't wear that at the dining table at home. You wear your dinner jacket, of course, uh, as we all do. Um, You know, you dress appropriately for the situation that you're in. The same, get this, the same, are you ready? The same is true spiritually. There is clothing that you have available to you to wear for different spiritual situations. And I think you don't know it. Generally you, including me, we don't know it. Or sometimes we like a certain outfit spiritually and we wear it all the time. And I want to introduce you to a new wardrobe this morning. Because that person in the parable had the choice, chose not. You've got the choice. But let me show you what your choices are. You see, God clothed himself 
from time to time. The Lord clothed himself in majesty. Now, he is majestic. He is, you know, regal. He is the king. But he clothed himself in majesty, saying, look, this is a moment where I want to display my majesty to you all. If you know, The queen is the queen all the time. But at the state opening of parliament, she wears something different to the twin set and pearls you see her normally when she's out shaking hands and cutting ribbons. What does she wear on the regal occasions? Big sort of ermine cloak, is that right? Crown? I don't know, all the rest of it. Where's the works? Can hardly work. Poor, walk the poor old lady. But because she clothes herself in majesty. God does the same. That doesn't mean to say when the queen takes off her robes, she is less the queen. No more than when God takes off his his majesty, is he any less God. But sometimes, rest on this. Okay, I'm going to need a press. Sometimes he closes himself a battle. Now, this is God. He's going to win the battle anyway. He's majestic anyway, but he clothes himself in majesty. He clothed himself for battle. Because you've got to be dressed appropriately for that situation. I don't know what God's battle dress is. I know what human battle dress is, both medieval times and even now. If you're dressed for battle, you're dressed in armor, body armor or... Um, a suit of armor and guns or spears or swords, whatever era you're in, you're ready for the battle. But you can't wear your battle armor for dinner or to sleep in. You can only wear it when that is appropriate. Don't you worry about the alarm. It's just because I'm getting to a good point. That's what happens. Okay. So let's go through this wardrobe. I'm going to show you some different garments which you have available to you, which you maybe are quite comfortable wearing from time to time, or maybe you didn't even know you had them. Okay? So first of all, the robe of righteousness. I'll put a few verses up here as well. There we go. Look them if you want to. I'll probably put one or two in a moment. But the robe of righteousness. Now, the question I want to ask you is, when would you need to wear a robe of righteousness? When, as a Christian, is the time to put on? I know you're always righteous because Jesus has died for you, and he's, you know, you're, you're saved. But if that's the case, why does it clearly say in those verses, put on the robe of righteousness? Right? So when is a moment when I need to put on that robe? Well, yes, true, in a sort of a holiness moment. I was thinking more specifically when we feel unrighteous. Right? When you're feeling unrighteous, you have available. Look at it this way. There's a big wardrobe over here, right? With all of your spiritual outfits in. Can you see it? You're as mad as I am, but you can see it. That's great. And we'll open it up, and inside you'll take out the robe of righteousness. Okay? Now, I'm going to take this out because, because actually, I've had a bad week this week. I've let God down. I've sinned, I've made a few mistakes, and I'm feeling a bit rotten about myself. In fact, I can't even look at myself in the mirror now. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to put this robe on, tie it around the neck here, and I'm feeling wretched, but I'm putting this robe on. Can you see it? I'm putting this robe, and it's, it's shoulder to feet. In fact, the verse is even mentioned about a hat as well. Turban goes with it. And I'm wearing this robe. And when I'm wearing this robe, you know what I can do? I can say, look at me. Look at me. I, I know I'm sinful, but look at me. Because this is the blood of Jesus. Look at me. There's nothing that you can accuse me of now. Because this robe covers everything. I've had a bad day. I've had a bad week. I've blown it. But I'm putting on my robe of righteousness. So now, no accusation that you put towards me will ever land. Because I've got my robe on. You know you've got that robe in your spiritual wardrobe. And you need to take it out and put it on. And if you're crazy like me, you might want to imagine you're physically doing it. And you say, look at me, enemy. Look at me, accuser. Because I've got my robe of righteousness on. And you know what happens? When you take it off again, because you don't keep it on all the time, when you take it off again, all that dirt that was all over you has gone. It's like there's some absorbent sponge on the inside lining. And all that mess that I had has been absorbed, has been washed away. And I can put that robe of right. I'm still a righteous Christian. I'm still saved by grace. But I'm putting my robe of righteousness back in the wardrobe. Because I might need that again when I fail again. When I need to remind myself of it. Now some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's your Christian walk. We do make mistakes. I'm sorry, but we do. And when we do, we say, I'm sorry, God. Blown it again. I'm sorry, but I accept your, your blood, your sacrifice on me. And I thank you. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I thank you that you know, it's not about me. It's about you. And I accept your forgiveness. You know, when we go through this process and we get ourselves back in the place to say, I'm sorry, God, but thank you that you have forgiven me. That's kind of putting the robe on. But if that's not your experience, and if you make a mistake, you know you've got three weeks of mental anguish, torment, and uh, penance to go through, I want to introduce you to your robe of righteousness this morning. And this morning, I'm actually going to do that for you. If you need to put it on this morning, I'm going to put it on you. You don't need it because you know it, and you put it on yourself from time to time, figuratively. Then that's okay. But for some, you need to see it this morning. You with me? Okay, so it doesn't change who you are, no more than the queen was not the queen when she wasn't wearing her robes, but there is a time to put it on. And the time to put your robe of righteousness on is when you need to remind yourself that you're righteous. Okay. Helmet of salvation. I'm deliberately not focusing on the armor of God here. These things are obviously mentioned there as well, but in other verses as well. And this is not a definitive list. There will be other things. They're just the ones that came to me when I was sort of thinking about this. Helmet of salvation. Now you're saved. You're saved, you're saved, you're always saved. You're saved when you ask Jesus into your life. That doesn't change. When would you need to put on 
a helmet of salvation. You've got the idea, I'm going to name it, and I'm going to ask you a question when, and you're going to tell me when. So when is it? When would you need to put a helmet on? To protect your head. Specifically, what do you mean by your head? Your brain, what else? Eyes and ears. It was eyes and ears that I thought of specifically. Of course, it's to protect your head, of course. You know, but I thought, yeah, that's quite right, because there are times when what you see and what you hear is not doing you good. There are times, I'm going to exaggerate for effect now, bear with me here. Chaps, when you're walking down the road with your good lady wife in your arm, and a young lady walks in front of you in the distance, low-cut blouse, short skirt, and you notice. Now, it's okay to notice God has created beautiful things, and that includes young ladies. But you know when that second look kicks in, you look and you look again, right? You know, actually, I shouldn't. And that's a moment to put on your helmet of salvation and say to God, oh, save me, God. Protect me. Because I need it. And if it helps, put your hands on your head. (sighs) I'm going to exaggerate for effect. Ladies, it's been very sexist today. The phone rings. Oh, you'll never guess what I heard today about such and such. It's, oh, it's as juicy this is. Really? Tell me. I'm sure men are just as bad, but I'm exaggerating, all right. Really? Well, I'm a caring person, and I, I do. I like to know about people so that I can know how to pray. Yes, tell me, tell me, tell me some. Um, but you know, when something clicks in, and you think, I shouldn't be party to this. Only you know that. You know when that moment is there, and that's a time for you to say, Lord... I'm putting my helmet on. I need you to save me from this because I like it. Save me from it. Give me the strength. Help me out here. Actually, it's not really convenient at the moment. Can I just call you back? Let's talk about it a bit later. The helmet of salvation is something you've got to run to your wardrobe. Find it, top shelf, put it on. Because it's about saving you in that moment of temptation. Saving you when you are at risk of letting something in your eyes, something in your ears, or memories and thoughts and things that have been there for a long time and you need to deal with, methods of behavior that are rooted in here. And you think, I don't like this, God. This is not right. This is not me. I don't want to be this person anymore. I'm putting my helmet on. Get me out of it. Now, some of you know that's the way to act in those situations. But others, I need to introduce you this morning to your helmet of salvation. And I'm going to give you an opportunity a bit later, and I'm going to put it on your head if that's what you need. You're not going to wear it all the time, but you need to put it into your wardrobe. So in those times of temptation, you can put it on. You with me? Cool. You've got a choice of two garments so far. Should we go for a third one? Breastplate of faith. 
same verses as the previous one. They're always listed together, helmet of salvation, breastplate of faith. And 1001 preaches about the armour of God, talks about it being there to protect your heart. And I can understand that, and sometimes it's protecting your feelings. But I think there's another level to this breastplate. Who's that? He is the high priest of the Old Testament. And what is he wearing? He's wearing a breastplate. Sometimes translated as a breastpiece. It's the same word. Okay? The breastplate looks like that. It's woven through this, or the, the fabric's made up of, the, uh, of gold, uh, blue, blue and red and white fabrics with a thread of gold in it as well. That's why the background is that sort of color. And has got 12 jewels on it. If you read it in the passages where it's talked about in there, we have translated what those jewels are, but we don't really know what they are. It's just the best guess, but there are 12 different gems that are on there. And engraved onto them, though not touched by a human hand, is the name of the tribe of Israel. And it was worn on the high priest's breastplate. Okay? He wore it... He wore it at times of judgment. It was often called the breast piece or breastplate of judgment. Now, I don't mean judgment in the sense of condemnation. I mean judgment in the sense of decision. We need to make a judgment here. We need to make a decision. Okay? So it was called the breastplate of judgment or the breastplate of decision. Though in the armor of God passages, it's talked about the breastplate of faith. And I would like to suggest that the time to go to your wardrobe and get this garment out, hook it over your head, tie it around the back, is when you're faced with a mountain. When you need to dig deep for faith that you didn't have before. Okay? Now, I have faith because I'm a Christian, but there's times I need to go and say I need a bit extra here. There's time with that mountain in front of you. It might be related to finance, it might be related to health, it might be relationships, it might be, I don't know, whatever it is, but you know what it is, and you think, I'm getting overwhelmed here, this is too big, this is hard, and I know it says in scripture, I I just need a little bit of faith and I can throw this mountain in the sea, but to be honest, I'm feeling completely too small for this. You go to your wardrobe, you put it on, because it's not just the faith that you need, It's the word of God, the knowledge, the decision, the judgment of what to do. I want faith to be able to move this mountain, but show me, God, is this the right mountain to move? Or actually, should I be looking over here where there is no mountain? Have I just walked into a mountain by mistake? Because I've not been listening to you. I'm, I'm stopping now, God. I'm putting on my breastplate because I need decision. I need knowledge. I need an understanding. And having got that, and having been confident that you've said that to me, whoa, then I'm going to exercise my faith. Then this breastplate will come alive. Because then I will be able to move that mountain, or at least to leap over it. Because I'll then know of what you're saying about this particular obstacle, this particular challenge in my life. Now, some of us know that in those situations, we need to stop, take stock, think, pray, ask for God's intervention, his word in our lives. But many of us, maybe we don't know, and we just trip up and get overwhelmed. Well, today, I'm giving you the opportunity to go to your wardrobe and put on 
the breastplate of faith. It may be something you need right now or something you know that every time you try to get in this situation, you're lost. But today, you can have it. A mantle of praise, a mantle or a cloak of praise. I like the fact that it's a cloak. Put it around here. Because then it can spin <laughs> as you move about. Now, I'm living proof that white men cannot dance. You know that, right? But every now and again, when the praise is kicking, you know, I might have a little bit of a jig at the front of church here. You've seen me. It's embarrassing. I don't care. But you know what I'm doing? I'm just putting on my garment of praise. I'm putting on my cloak of praise. Why? Because I want to worship. Because it's, oh, thank you, God. And I'm loving the music, and I'm loving the atmosphere, and I'm loving the Holy Spirit's presence, and I'm just loving worshiping. I don't wear this when I'm in Sainsbury's. Right? Because I dress appropriately, thank you. Um, (laughs) But sometimes I put it on. Now, I know that not everybody has one of these in their wardrobe, or so they think. But you actually, you have. And if you say, yeah, I don't do that, all you're doing is you're saying, I can't, I can't find it in my wardrobe. But it's there. It's not necessarily you. And bear in mind, these garments are a gift from the king. You come in your rags. Here's your wardrobe. When you need it, it's there for you. Oh, yeah, but I don't wear that one. I'm not a dancer. Neither am I. I don't wear that one. I don't sing nice and loud. Yes, you do. You're just not wearing the right clothes for it. Now, I'm going to give you the opportunity today to find that garment from the back of the wardrobe, to shake the cobwebs off it. I'm not going to make you dance. Don't worry. I'm being totally spiritually today and figuratively. And we're going to shake it down and we're going to put it on you so that you know where it is. So the next time you're thinking, this is quite good, this is. I think I might want to praise. But I'm a bit stuck in my seat. Then you can just say, okay, I'm going to do this. Get my garment, wrap it around my shoulders, put it on and say, okay, by faith, I'm now a praiser. Do you know what will happen? You'll come alive. Why? Because it's not up to you. It's the king's garment that he's given you. And he knows how to praise. (laughs) He has a whole host of angels worshipping all the time in heaven. He's just connecting in to that level of joy. Now, if you've already got these four things, that's fine. You've got your full wardrobe and you put them on when you need to. But if you haven't, you need to find one. Or if not, down there at the bottom of the wardrobe... Underneath all the robes and mantles is a belt. Belt of truth, belt of faithfulness. What's a belt for? If anybody says, keep your trousers up. <laughs> okay, in biblical times, there were no trousers, right? Particularly, they wore sort of a tunicky, roby sort of thing. So, what was a belt for then? You would hold a sword on it. You'd hold a money bag in it. Basically, it would hold everything together. Okay. And I think that's the phrase that really makes sense here. It's about 
holding it together. In fact, when you're out and about, the belt was actually had everything you needed for that journey. You'd have a sword if you felt you needed a sword. You'd have a money bag if you needed a money bag. You'd have water hanging from it if, if that was the type of journey. But basically, it held you together. And I would suggest that the time to rummage in the bottom of your wardrobe to find the belt of truth is when you're in danger of not holding it all together. When you're in danger of losing it. Now, let's be honest. We've all been there. There are times when you think, I don't know why I'm bothering. Times when you think, I've had enough of this. It's often focused at church rather than God, but that's nonetheless. There's times when you think, oh, this is just too hard. I'm being honest. These things come from time to time. They're the times to go into the wardrobe and say, I'm losing it, God, but I need you to put this belt on me. I need you to hold it together. Because I know when I'm wearing that, I've got everything I need. It's Batman's utility belt. I've got everything that I need on me here. That's right, yes, sir. It's actually all I need is this belt. Forget everything else. I just want all that I need on my belt. And if you're at that point now where you're thinking, I don't know where I'm going with this. There's something in it, but it's not fitting right with me. Let's just get back to basics, shall we? Put the belt of truth on. And let's recognize that when we're faithless, when we've lost our faith, he remains faithful. And he's full of faith. He's full of everything that we might need. That's what the belt of truth is for. Now, you don't need to wear it all the time, because most of the time, I'm cooking on gas. It's okay. I'm saved and I'm loving it. But it's there in the wardrobe when you just need to anchor yourself, ground yourself, center yourself, whatever phrase works for you, when you realize I've got to just get back to my basics now and just focus on it. A couple more. Garland of grace or a crown of beauty. Proverbs, it says... Well, he has given you a garland of grace and a crown of beauty. It actually says it's from wisdom. It comes from that. And uh, I think it's probably a male and a female version. Okay, you've got a garland or a crown. I don't know. And I thought, what are you saying here, God? What's all this about? And then I had an idea. I had a thought. And this is the thought that I had. That's my granddaughter there, Maggie. And uh, what's she dressed up as? Princess, yes. Whether it's Anna from Frozen, I don't know, but it's a princess. Now she's three years old now. She might have been two, actually, when we taught that. Do you think for a moment when she was wearing that dress, she became a princess? I think she did. I think when she was wearing that, she was a princess. In her mind. No, no, if you asked her, she knew she was still Maggie. But when she was wearing that, she was something beyond herself. Yeah. Do you know God wants you to dress up? Not just a princess, you could be a 
to be a penguin. That's Mary, uh, Maggie dressed up as a penguin, apparently, there. Uh, we could also be a construction worker. Uh, we could be a, a star, if we wanted to be. We could be a uh, wasp, perhaps. Bumpy. A buzzy bee, okay, yeah. Um, we got us with a sister there, Lucy and Maggie, as uh, soldiers. Um, some form of fairy bumblebee, I think we are there. Or maybe it is just a bumblebee in their wings, I don't know. Um, we, we weren't too sure what laying on the floor with a cushion on your back was, but it was definitely something. Or daddy, wearing daddy's shoes and his hat. Or some form of sheep with poor sight. I don't know. A detective sheep. That's a whole new Channel 4 series, I think, yes. You see, at that age, you can be whatever you want to be if you put the clothes on. As a Christian, the same applies. God has spoken into your life promises, visions, words. He's spoken to you about your future. If he hasn't, he wants to. Connect with him. He'll tell you. He's given you a promise. You can go into your wardrobe and you can dress up as it. Bizarre. That's what the garland of grace is. He says, I've given you all of this. I've given you so much. Enjoy it. I want to bedeck you in jewels and, and fine robes and everything. If God said something in my life about my future, about my destiny, I actually bought a hat <laughs> from Israel. You know? And I, sometimes I put the hat on, I say, part of my future, part of my destiny. Now that's a physical hat. I'm talking spiritual hats here, but a physical I actually wear it, and it's part of my faith belief of where I'm going. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. I remember about three or four weeks ago, there was a whole load of ladies lined up across the front of this church, and one gentleman at the end. There were all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies there were, and you, the lady, was praying for husbands. Bold thing to do, but she did. Now, if you were part of that, you could respond in a couple of ways. You could say, fine, great, now let me sit down. It's okay, it's your choice. It's what parable's all about, choice, isn't it? Or you could have said, okay, I accept that. I believe it. If that was the response of, okay, I believe it, do you know what appeared in your faith wardrobe at that moment? A wedding dress. And you, at any time, could take it out and put it on and say, thank you, God, there's a husband for me. And this is my spiritual wedding dress. It's all part of taking hold of the word. It's all part of accepting what God has said to you. It's all part of belief and faith and building it. There are things, if God said that he's going to give you a, you know, a, a, a job in the city as a banker, I don't know, there's probably a bowler hat and an umbrella in the wardrobe. I can't think of other examples, right? But if he said it for you, there may well be an outfit in that wardrobe. And if there is... Go and put it on. When the time's appropriate, when it's right, when you just need to remind yourself of the faith that you need to build 
for you the destiny that he's already given you. If you said you're going to be a preacher to thousands of people, there'll be a preacher outfit in there. Socks and sandals, I don't know what it is, yeah? No, no. Something in there. You know, there's an outfit. It doesn't matter what it looks like. You put it on. I am the preacher man now. You may be terrified of the natural, but put it on in the quiet of your bedroom and say, this is me now. This is who I am. I'm going to be a missionary to Antarctica. Get your thermals out and put them all on. Zip yourself up. And that's it. God wants you to dress up in line with the word he's already spoken into your life. Do you get it? Can you understand that? This is real. Well, it's spiritual, but it doesn't make it any less real. One last one. You've also got an outfit in there, your white robes. We've all got them. They're very bright and very shiny, so they tend to be at the back of the wardrobe. And uh, you don't get to wear them this side of eternity. (laughs) They're there for when you die, when you go to heaven. Though actually Jesus wore his early. We call it the transfiguration. He got to put them on, and his clothes were radiant. But he took them off again and put them in. Now, he was allowed to do that. You can't get to that part of the wardrobe just yet. In fact, if you go to your wardrobe and it is open, then worry. Um, They're there for you. And that is what you will wear in heaven. But this side, you've got all of those things to wear when you need them. Now, can you think of situations in your life when you need to wear those specific outfits? None of them change who you are. You are who you are. God has made you who you are, right? Nothing is temporary, but there are times you might need a little bit extra, an extra bit of righteousness, a bit of protection, a bit of decision and faith because I need to get somewhere. Right? A bit of joy to celebrate. I need to be able to hold it all together at certain times. And I need to believe for my future. I need to get hold of that vision. There's times when you want to do, you may need to do that. Well, I want you this morning to change your clothes. Okay? Put away foreign gods, purify yourself, and change your garments. Consecrate the people and let them wash their garments. You don't need to do it physically, but you need to do it spiritually this morning. So, Father God, I pray that you would guide us in the full knowledge that we are who we are and you've made us as complete beings. But there are times when we need to dress according to the situation that we're in. There's times we need to dress for battle. There's times we need to dress for joy. And Lord, you've given us the tools that we need. You've given us the outfits that we need for those different situations. So Lord, if if we have left our outfits dusty, if we've made them moth-eaten because of lack of use, then forgive us, Lord. And and help us to re-engage with the tools that you've given us for us to be successful and alive and full of life and full of joy. Lord, it is our choice, just like the guy at the wedding feast, to say, I'm not bothering. Or it's our choice to say, thank you, Father, I accept these garments. I accept them, and I'm putting them on, and I'm going to enjoy the banquet that's laid before me. This morning, Lord, I pray that you just release these garments to us spiritually. Amen.